Um, as I said, you have an outline in front of you. If you want to take that out, if you want to open up your Bible to the book of First Peter, um, we are in chapter 3, and I am actually going to jump a little bit over verses 1 through 7. And, and I'll tell you why. Peter gets into some talk about marriage, and um, I realized this last week that I covered that section with us um, just under a year ago, last May. And the reason I know that is because someone texted me this week and said, hey, I heard that you shared a video of you proposing to your um, bride um, uh, from about 20 years ago. And some of you remember when I shared that with you. Uh, and I went back and I looked at it and I said, oh, that's when I actually gave the message on 1 Peter chapter 7. And so I thought, you know what, I'd rather not do that message here today. If you would like to hear me kind of teach on that and share that, that was done on May 16th, no, excuse me, May 15th of last year, so 2015. 2016, okay, got those dates right, May 15th, 2016, and um, go to the website, and, and you can listen to that, uh, and as a freebie, you can even watch my marriage proposal. Don't laugh at it, though, because, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um, but that message, let me just review real quickly, verses 1 through 7, talks about how Peter wants and means for wives to be respectful of their husbands. And for them not to be chasing outer beauty, but inner beauty. And he then instructs the husbands um, about how to be close and loving with your wives and showing honor to your wives. And, and by the way, um, you know, we place such a high value on marriage around here. It's one of our ten core values. Uh, I hope you are taking advantage of the different things that we do with and for marriages. Uh, just under a, a month ago, we had a Valentine's banquet. That was a wonderful time just to come to and enjoy. We have community groups and classes for marrieds uh, and going through specific married material. Um, we also have coming up, and you can just pencil this into the bulletin uh, as an upcoming thing for those of you who are married, um, a marriage conference that's coming up on May 19th and 20th. That's a, a Friday night and a Saturday morning with best-selling author and speaker Jim Burns, who is going to be right here in our church. Uh, he is heard on over 800 radio channels across the country. And um, I, I said, you know what, would you actually come earlier and let our congregation kind of get to know you a little bit? And so he's actually going to come uh, the week after Easter on April 23rd. That will be a general message on relationships for everyone. But then I just want to let you know about the marriage conference that's coming up on the 19th and 20th of May. And hopefully you'll be preparing to come and also to invite someone to come with you. Uh, because we do know that uh, God's Word speaks about marriage, uh, instructs us, and encourages us. And so you can read more about that in verses 1 through 7. But what Peter does is he kind of sandwiches this talk about marriage before talking about the submission that he hopes that the people who were, he was addressing here in the first century um, would begin to submit to the governing authorities and realizing that you have to live within the society and the rulers who are over you, I want you to still obey. And then right after that passage, he uh, shares some guiding principles that can be used in any relationship. And so that's what I'm going to share here today. In tough and difficult times, we know we need God's word to help with, us, with this because in relationships, it's tough, it's difficult. Hum we're, we're humans. We come into a relationship with our own agendas. We can kind of rub each other in the wrong way, can't we? we each of us has kind of some porcupines in our lives, and you know what I mean by that, don't you? That you just kind of rub up against them and, oh, oh, I'd rather not be with them right now. Spiritual sandpaper, I always li uh, like to call it. 
that God just kind of uses to kind of rub the rough edges off of us as well as other people. And so relationships do that with one another because we need these instructions because conflict happens. It happens in marriages. It happens in relationships. It might happen between relatives. It might happen maybe with a roommate that you have. Maybe it's with your boss. Maybe it's with your employee. Maybe it's with a parent. Maybe it's with your children. Conflict is inevitable. It happened in the Old Testament with the Israelites. It happened in the New Testament. You see it with the disciples of Jesus, some of them who are closest to Jesus. They were having conflicts every now and then. It happened among the early church. It happens in our families. It happens in the church in the 21st century as well. It happens. The question becomes, how do we deal with it? How do we work together? How do we get along to fulfill the purpose that God has for us. And so the Bible starts off with some great instruction here in 1 Peter chapter 3. And Peter says this in verse 8. In fact, would you read it with me? It says, finally, all of you be... All right, so Peter is addressing the early church, people who are believers. And he's saying, live in harmony with one another. He's saying other people are watching your lives. Last Tuesday was a great night of praise and worship that we had down here. Just some time to just be in the Lord's presence and to just allow worship and praise, people praying at the altar and such. You you leave a place like that and you think of Acts chapter 2, the early church, and how in one accord with one another, how like-minded and harmony people were. In the Greek, this word for like-minded means one spirit and one purpose. It kind of has that connotation of, you know, harmony, musical harmony that you'd hear, being like-minded with one another. And so Peter says, this is what I want for you. I want you to be like-minded. Now you say, how? That's where the rest of the verse gets into this. In fact, would you read the rest of this together with me? Let's read the whole thing. It says, finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. All right, so as you look at that, you may be tempted to think, well, you know, that's just kind of a checklist that Peter's writing off. In all actuality, it is. It's kind of a checklist of sorts that we need. You know, I was talking to Pastor Derek um, uh, a few months ago. And um, he's been a, a pilot, a, an instructor of, of others who teaches, used to work in a, a pilot school for airplanes. And um, he said, you know, checklists is what we did. You had to go over a checklist before you get into the plane. Um, and it's when you think you know it all that you have a problem. When you're not doing the daily maintenance any longer is when issues come up. In fact, he said, there are bold pilots and there are old pilots, but there are no old, bold pilots. And if you think about what that means, that is so true. You can't forget the checklist. You can't forget to go through and say, okay, what do I need to get my life in order with? And as Christians, we cannot make sure, we cannot say, you know what, it's all taken care of. It's all right, because then conflict will creep up on you. And in relationships, we need to check ourselves against Scripture, because if we practice what Peter says here, then conflict is going to be reduced. And so let me give you a couple of these. We're not going to make it all the way through the list, so, so just hold on there. You're not going to make it all the way through. I'm going to go with the first two here today. And here's the first thing Peter says. 
He says, I want you to put this on the checklist. How do you live like-minded? With sympathy. Sympathy. And he just says right there, be sympathetic. Wow, that's a great point, Brad. Thank you. I just pulled that right from Scripture, didn't I? Right? Sympathy is what we need. See, too many conflicts develop because we just don't get what the other person is coming from. And let me just put it in the category of men and women. I read a great book a number of years ago called um, uh, Men Are Like Waffles, Women Are Like Spaghetti. Have you ever read that book? Okay, it's interesting because they say men are like waffles because we just like to compartmentalize things, right? We like to keep them in their own little box, like, like waffle syrup that you put on there and it stays in its own little compartment, right? You, you don't want all those boxes touching and you want to settle issues and solve them and keep them. Women, on the other hand, are like spaghetti. I mean, it is just all wound together, right? If you're having a hard time over here, it relates over here, and if it's over here, it's over here, it's all together. Men were like, nope, keep it this way, and women just, I, I, I mean, you look at that, and you say, God just created us so differently. In fact, I came across a list of, um, and I'll, I'll share this with you, because I think you're mature enough to hear this, um, of things that you will never hear a man say. You ready for this? These are five things that you will never hear a man say. Number five, here, honey, here's the remote. Never hear a man say that. Count on that. At least not in my house you won't hear that. All right? Number four, something you never hear a man say, surprise, I rented Anna Green Gables, Emma, and The Notebook for the weekend. <laughs> not going to happen. Number three, hey, while I'm up, can I get you anything? <laughs> Number two, sometimes I just want to be held yeah, that did, that did not happen. And number one thing you will never hear a man say, why don't you come to the mall with me and we can pick out a pair of shoes? <laughs> and then there are five things that you will never hear women say. Ah, payback, huh? All right, all right. Number five. What do you mean today is our anniversary? You will never hear a woman say that. Never. Never. Number four, can we not talk to each other tonight? I'd just rather watch TV. Number three, ah, oh, this diamond is way too big. All right. Number two, and for our honeymoon, we're going fishing in Alaska. And the number one thing you will never hear a woman say, Hey, don't stop for directions. Let's just figure it out for ourselves. <laughs> Not going to happen, is it? Oh, no. But men are different from women. I mean, that's why we have so much conflict even within marriage and relationships. The word sympathy, understand this. The word sympathy is a Greek word for, um, that means to feel with. That's what that word means, sympathy. It's to feel with. It's to crawl into their skin and to try and, and feel their feelings. It's, it's two words put together, sim, which is same, pathos, which is emotions. So same emotions, sympathy, feeling those same emotions. Look at what Romans 12, 15 says. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who what? Who mourn. You know, as a pastor, I can take... 
some pot shots here and there, criticisms about this or that, and, and sometimes there will even be some anger that gets directed my way, and I have to think about, okay, was that really something I did, or was it perhaps something that came about from someone's past and their background? And, and, and you know, I, I try and really separate that out and say, if it's something I did, hey, I apologize, I am sorry. But for many people, some things that come up are things that have happened in the past. And what I've learned is that hurt people hurt people. Let me say that again. Hurt people hurt people. And that is so good for you to know as well. That sometimes there are some things that you do that, that can hurt people and then they will hurt you back. But other times just you come into a relationship or you come across people who are already hurt and they will hurt you. They will hurt people. And, and, and your response, though, doesn't need to be to fire back. It needs to be to crawl into their skin, not crawl under their skin, but to crawl into their skin and to try to understand where they are coming from. Let me say this about hurt people, hurt people uh, as well. Think about this. If a blind man steps on your toe, do you get mad at them? Whose fault is that? If they can't see, if they don't know, well, and they said, why should we get mad at them? If someone's hurt, we shouldn't just fire back at them when they take that out on you. We should say, you know what? Wow, sounds like you're having a tough time. Let's talk about that. Let, let me try and understand where you're coming from. And when we extend that sympathy by feeling those same emotions, then we talk about, okay, what circumstances caused that to come about? Maybe it was a coworker of yours, and maybe you didn't realize that their spouse had been making plans to leave, and that night before they left. Maybe you didn't realize that they had a child who was up at 3 a.m. in the morning, and they've been lack of sleep. Maybe you didn't realize, maybe it's a roommate, maybe you're a freshman, and you're both away at college, and their insecurities are coming out for the very first time, and you're kind of in the midst of that, not knowing what to do. Put yourself in their one man writes about riding a subway in New York City. He says, people are sitting quietly when a man came in with his kids, entering the subway car that I was in, and the children were so loud, so rambunctiously, that instantly the whole climate changed in that car. He said, the man sat next to me and didn't do a thing. His kids were yelling back and forth at each other. They were throwing things. They were climbing up on chairs. They were grabbing papers out of people's hands. Yet he did nothing. Terrible father. He said, I got irritated. I couldn't believe that he would be so insensitive to let those kids run all over like they did. And everyone else was getting irritated too. So I turned to the man, he writes. And I said, your children are really disturbing a lot of people here. Couldn't you control them just a little bit? please? The man turned away from his kind of daze that he had looking out the window as the cars flew by. He said, oh, wow, you, you know, you're right. I, I guess I, I should do something about that. Uh, you know, we just came from the hospital where their mother died an hour ago. And I don't know what to think. And I guess they don't quite know how to handle it either. And then he went back out, kind of looking out the window. And the author writes, suddenly I saw things differently. I felt things differently. 
and the conflict vanished. Sympathy was put into place. Look what James writes about that. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And might I just say, if you do the first two of those things, the third one follows. Seek to understand before seeking to be understood. Now, sympathizing with someone doesn't mean that you agree with what they're doing. You're, you're not validating what they have done or what they are doing. I mean, the Bible says that Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses. I mean, could you imagine the next time you sinned, Jesus firing back, I knew it, I knew you'd do it again. You are so stupid, you keep falling for that one. No, that's not what Jesus is going to say. Jesus came down and put our skin on. He knew the temptations. He overcame them, even though we many times can't. He overcame them, and so he gets it. He understands. He know. He came for our human insecurities. He came to help. That's what Jesus says. I've come to help. That's why I've gone to the cross. Turn it over to me. Turn it over to me. Because you can't do it in your own power. I can never be the godly man that my wife needs for me, the godly husband that she needs for me on my own power. I can't do it. Men, you can't either. Women, you cannot be the godly woman, the godly wife that you need to be for your husbands. You cannot be the godly worker for your boss, the witness for your boss and for others in your workplace without God just being involved in all of your life and taking that over. And so let me just ask you to, to rate yourself. It's at the bottom of the page where you can, excuse me, it's at the bottom of this point where you can just put down on there, um, okay, do people say, hey, thanks for understanding when they talk with me? And if so, you can score yourself maybe an 8 or a 9 or 10. Or do you hear people say, you know, you just never listen. You don't get it. And if so, maybe score yourself maybe a 1, 2, or a 3. Now, I get it if maybe you don't want the neighbor next to you looking over and leaning and seeing how you're doing that. So maybe if you need to just score that mentally. But I would hope that you take that outline. And score that, even at home, keep it in a place where you say, how can I make that better? How can I be more Christ-like in my relationships with people? How can I have more sympathy? Sympathetic, says Peter, in those relationships. That's how you become like-minded. The second thing he writes then is this. Peter says, to live in harmony, to live in like-mindedness, we need loyalty. We need loyalty. And he just flat out says it. Love one another. Other versions talk about how brotherly love for one another. We've all heard the uh, marriage chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. You know, that, that, where do you most often hear the love chapter read out? What, what kind of occasions? At weddings, yeah, sure. You know, that, there, there was no intention for that to be read at a wedding when Paul penned that. You know who that was addressed to? The early church. The early church in Rome who were having difficulties, who were having struggles. I mean, it, it was penned, you know, when they had a, a business meeting. Yeah, this is what, hey, let's not forget love. Love does not envy, does not boast, not proud, it's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It doesn't seek its own way. But it helps with one another. That's what it's intended for. It's intended for us, the church. 
not just, you know, at a wedding time when everyone's looking good and everyone's like, yeah, it's about love, 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 love. No, it's for us when we get into the battles, we get into the hard things. And Peter says, when's the loyalty there? The, the love for one another. You know, uh, baseball season is almost here. Spring training's happening. And um, it kind of reminds me of the story about Jackie Robinson when he broke the color barrier back in 1947. When he did, and I apologize for some of you because you see a Dodger up here. That's no, no intention there. But he was getting death threats and boos and catcalls and jeers. And he was getting stuff thrown at him from the stands when he was becoming the first African-American man to play in the big leagues. It was, a, it was actually a very dangerous set of circumstances that he was coming onto, uh, into day in and day out. In fact, none of his teammates were really behind him as well at the beginning. Uh, some of them even kind of led in some of the jeers and the boos. Um, if you can you know, imagine that, teammates doing that to one another back in that day. And in one particular game, it was in this huge stadium, and, and the boos were, were really turning ugly on him. And it got to the point for about 20 minutes where the game couldn't even go on, and the people were in the stands, they were on their feet, they were jeering him, their, their faces were red, the veins were kind of popping out in their, in their necks, they were yelling racial slurs at him. It was just an ugly, ugly situation. And Jackie Robinson was down on the field, standing there, kind of, in a sense, afraid for his life, when one of his teammates, a white man by the name of Pee Wee Reese, who was an all-star like Jackie Robinson came to be, but Pee Wee Reese had not been in favor of the integration to begin with, but he came to know Jackie as a person. He came to love him as a friend. And right in the middle of that field, Pee Wee Reese walked over, and put his arm around Jackie Robinson, as if to say, I'm going through this with you. And the two of them just looked up to all the fans who were booing and jeering and throwing things and yelling names at them, and Pee Wee Reese's arm stayed there with Jackie Robinson. Took two or three minutes, and the crowd kind of died down after that happened. There were even a few brave souls in the stands who, who cheered for that show of respect for one another, and then play resumed. But years later, when Jackie Robinson was telling a biographer about his life story, he would say that it was Pee Wee Reese's arm around his shoulder on that day that kept him in baseball. In fact, Vince Scully tells um, the story um, of these death threats that were happening to Jackie Robinson down on the field. And he said that before the game, because Jackie Robinson would regularly get death threats, he said before one of the games, one of the guys in the clubhouse jokingly said, hey, um, they won't know it's Jackie if we're all wearing the same number on our uniform. And it was kind of a funny, kind of broke the, the clubhouse up because obviously he was an African-American man compared to all the white people who were out, all the white men who were out on the field. But that stuck. And so about 10 or so years ago, Major League Baseball adopted a practice where on April 15th of every year, everyone wears Jackie Robinson's number on the back of their uniform. So they take their number off, and Jackie Robinson's numbers, their name plates are not on there anymore, but everyone wears the same number together. Sign of loyalty. Sign of coming together. Like-mindedness. And again, Jackie 
reflects back. It was that arm around him that made a difference. And that challenge really should go out to us as well. Who, who around you needs their, your arm? Who? It, it, maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in a friendship. Uh, I, mean, I mean, whose shoulder do you need to place your arm around to give them some sort of hope, to give them some sort of faith even perhaps, and help them along the way? Look what Paul says in Romans 12.10. He says, be devoted to one another. And the same word here, in love, honor one another above yourself. In fact, what I want you to do, if you would, is to again rate yourself. And if you want to just mentally do it right now, that's fine. But go back and fill that in. You know, if you would say, you know what, I use friends and I drop them. Then, yeah, you got a one or a two there. Or if you'd say, you know, I stick by them through thick and through thin, then maybe it's the 8, 9, 10. And, and maybe you'll start to see a pattern kind of go in there with these words that Peter gives to us of steps that he wants us to take. And, you know, I, I thought about that illustration there with Jackie Robinson, and I thought, you know what, if there's any place in, in the world that people should be able to be like-minded and have sympathy shared with them and to have loyalty shared, it should be the church, not just the locker room, not just the sports field, not just friendships or at the office. It should be the church that does that for one another. And so I went back and I looked at our, our bylaws here at First Baptist Church. And if you're a member here at the church, you would have in the last few years signed a, a covenant to say, hey, here's what I'm going to do as a church member here at First Baptist. And maybe some of you aren't members officially, but I would hope that you would understand this as well, that as a church, we got each other's backs. And here's how we formally have written this down says this in our bylaws. It says, I will protect the unity of my church. And we list four things, four main points, and then three little subheadings under each of them. So I'll protect the unity of my church by acting in love towards other members. There it is, the first thing, acting in love towards other members. Secondly, by refusing to gossip. And third, by following the leaders at my church. Secondly, I will share the responsibility of my church by praying for its growth and health, by inviting the unchurched to attend, and by warmly welcoming those who visit. And I would hope it wouldn't just be when we say, hey, would you greet someone around you? I would hope and pray that it would be times before the service, after the service, that you'd be greeting people and welcoming them. That's just not my responsibility. That's not our staff's responsibility. That is all of our responsibility to do that together. To show unity, to share the responsibility. Third, that I will serve the ministry of my church by discovering my gifts and my talents, by being equipped to serve by my pastors. And a few weeks ago, Pastor Derek led a class on uh, Discover Your Design. And some of you came through that. We've had 100 or, or so over the last couple of years do that. That's wonderful to take that step and then to put it into practice. And by developing a servant's heart. You heard Susie say it. Everyone serves in singles ministry. We're all expected to. Same thing here. We're all expected to. And then fourth, I will support the testimony of my church by attending faithfully, by living a godly and growing life, and by giving regularly. And let me say thank you for that. 
I mean, you guys were so incredible at the end of last year uh, to make up the shortfall that we had in our budget. And already this year, just, just some incredible giving that you have done as a church family that's allowed us to stay on budget as we have prepared that and planned for that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Some of you haven't gotten there yet. Some of you are not to that place of saying, hey, I'm ready to do this. We often say, as Pastor Mark even shared last week, if you're new around here, we don't expect you to give. That's just for people who call this their church home. And so whether you're a member or a regular tender, we hope that you will also jump in and give regularly to support the ministry here at the church. Because the truth is, the biblical mandate is that this is not a country club that we're a part of. You, you know what the difference between a, a church and a country club? At a country club, you expect to be served. At a church, you get to pay your dues and serve. How do you like that? All right, country club, you pay your dues, and then you get to be served. Here, you get to share. And, and, and really, I make a joke out of it. It's not dues. I mean, it's, it's a generous spirit that we have. It, it's wanting to give. It's not having to give, but it's wanting to give. In fact, the analogy I often like to use is that we are not on a cruise ship. We're not sailing on a cruise ship. We are on a battleship, First Baptist. And that is not a battle within Although sometimes that can happen, it's a battle outwardly. We're battling to take back the dark forces of darkness. We are battling to defeat what Satan is trying to do. When we're on a cruise ship, it's about feed, 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 feed. What, singles, are you on a cruise ship? Huh? Uh, no, no, you can, you can still eat there and still be on the battleship. But, but seriously, uh, when, you think about, when you think about a cruise ship, what is a cruise ship? It's it serve me. It's about my likes. It's about the music I like. It's about my seat, right? I hope you have people who take your seat every Sunday. And I hope that you would say, hey, great to meet you. By the way, that's my seat, so get out for next week, right? No, is that the way you do it? No, that you would say, pleased to meet you, welcome. Can I sit right beside you? I would hope that's the way we would approach it instead of, wait, 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 wait. I've sat there for every day for the last 15 years, and I expect to sit there today. No. That's a cruise ship. We're on a battleship, folks. And let's not battle within. Let's remember who's the enemy. We're battling without. We're battling the outside forces that are coming on us. And I pray that you will see it in that way. I pray that you will understand that and realize it's about keeping your eyes upon Christ. And so Peter gets out this. And he says, okay, you've got to be like-minded when you go through this. Yes, conflicts are going to come. Yes, difficulties will be there. But when you do, understand, crawl into their skin, not under their skin, into their skin. Bring sympathy into your relationship. Be loyal. Be loyal. Share in brotherly love as you keep your eyes focused on Jesus. We're going to sing a song as Jesus Messiah. There's a great line in there that just keeps singing over and over. My hope is in you. My hope is in you. My hope is in you. Don't place hope in any other place but in Jesus. If you do, you'll be disappointed. If you do, you'll start rocking the boat. If you do, you won't be along looking to say, okay, who, who are we going to battle with today? We join together in like-mindedness, sympathy, loyalty. And we serve, and we say, Jesus, how do you serve? Our hope is in you. Amen? Yes. Let's pray. God, I, um, I thank you for Peter's words. 
that he wrote, that he challenged us with. That we would lead the charge in unity and brotherly love, and loyalty, being sympathetic towards one another's needs, helping, encouraging, supporting, like-minded in every way. Lord, I, I pray that as we've maybe had an honest evaluation of where we're at, as we've rated ourselves, if not written down, at least mentally, Lord, we all have room for improvement. And so, God, I, I pray that your spirit would just fall upon us even more. It, it, for those of you who know Jesus Lord and Savior, that spirit lives inside of you. You don't have to do this on your own. Jesus is helping us. His spirit, he left it to be the counselor, the guide, to walk us through these things, to help us with this. Lord, may we lean into you as we trust you. And folks, if today you're here and you're trying to do this on your own power and your own might, you no longer have to. It's about a trust in Jesus. It's about a hope in Jesus. It's about saying, Jesus, I rest my life in you. In fact, today, if you've never made that commitment to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, it'd be these simple words of praying, Jesus, today is the day. I know I need a life change. Would you come into my life? I accept you as my Savior. I live out now my faith and make you Lord of my life. I ask for forgiveness of my sins. Today I make a U-turn. I repent. And today I follow you. You know, you don't have to have that prayer down perfectly. God sees the intentions of your heart. And if that is your very heart's desire today, just pray, Jesus. Just say those words, Jesus. Jesus, would you come in? He promises to. And if you'll share that decision with maybe a friend or a pastor here or at our Next Step Center, we'd love to help you take your next step in that relationship that you have just birthed. How you can walk through life knowing that you don't do this on your own. You do it with the guidance of one who loves and one who cares. First Baptist, may we never take our focus off of him. May our eyes never be set on the things of the world. May they always be set on you. Lord Jesus Messiah, you are our hope. You are our hope. Our hope is in you and nothing less. God, we love you. We serve you. We desire to be unified with one another. We desire for you to control what we can't. And it's in the name of Jesus that we give it to you now. We pray. Amen.